0: It is good to see you all. Thankful that we can be together this morning. Um, I, I would actually be kind of curious if someone ever wrote a whole hymn on Psalm 119, by the way. Um, I think that'd be fun. That'd probably give uh, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, Luther's hymn, a run for its money. Um, Corey, I don't know if you noticed, but when you said those words, uh, Jed kind of clicked his heels together back there. He got pretty excited about that. So, uh, uh, he, was, he was moving in a shake and thinking, hallelujah and amen, this is a good thing. So, Jed, there you go. There's a, what was that? Oh, he did then. I felt the tremble coming from the back of the room. So, anyway, <laughs> I love that we can joke together like this. This is good, Jed. I love you, brother. Um, just remember Daniel sits behind you, so point all critiques to him, Okay. Uh, anyway, it is good to see you all. Good to be together. I do want to explain to you uh, why our kids were probably a little upset this morning. Um, I am thankful that our children are in service with us. Grateful to have them here. They're probably upset because they realize faster than the rest of us that I am in the pulpit. Forrest is not with us. And so they must have had a moment of disappointment where they need to walk out and collect themselves and then come back in. But yeah, uh, if you remember this past week, we announced that Forrest was going to be here preaching today. Unfortunately, uh, life happens, schedule happens, and Forrest is unable to be with us, unable to preach today, uh, due in part to uh, Stephanie's health. If you did not hear, uh, Stephanie uh, had appendicitis and had to be rushed into surgery on Friday. Um, Everything went well. Stephanie is home. Uh, She is home resting, doing well. Forrest is home helping her, uh, taking care of baby Joshua. Uh, Pray for them, pray for her because doctor's orders say that she cannot lift uh, her baby or anything as heavy as her baby for the next month. And so for a new mother, um, I imagine that's got to drive her crazy. And so pray for them. Uh, We are hoping by God's grace that we may see them back Uh, with us this next week, but just please continue to remember them in your prayers. Um, They really appreciate it. Uh, I did have a chance to uh, chat a little bit with Forrest and Stephanie yesterday. Uh, Stephanie did ask that I share this with you, and then she asked me to make the story sound a lot better than what it is, and so we were trying to concoct this story about how Stephanie was at a restaurant and got into a fight over Forrest's honor, and and that's why she can't be here today, Uh, but we decided the truth would probably be the better way to go. So anyway, there you go. Uh, and uh, you know, and if you know Stephanie and Forrest, you could probably see that. Like that's, that's what's interesting. So anyway, uh, I'll let you guys call them and sort that out later. Anyway, let's get into this. So again, they're not here. So again, you're with me. Uh, sadly, and hopefully, encouraging uh, that we can be together because we're going to continue to drive through our studying on holiness, uh, the calling, and the challenge uh, for the. Uh, The body of believers for the local church, and as a reminder, or maybe you're here for the first time and you're you're actually hearing this and experiencing for the first time, we have actually been walking together uh, as a faith family through First Corinthians with the hopes of really seeing the call and the challenges that come from the writings of Paul by the grace of God, all for the glory of God, to the Corinthian Christians. And so The message that we've been seeing, this this call and challenge to holiness, if you will, is the same message that really should be pressed into our hearts and minds as well. You see, I believe that Paul would have the same desire for us as he had for the Corinthian Christians, and that was to grow, to persevere, to pay attention to what is is happening around you, but then at the same time to continue to grow in your own understanding of the Word of God, to continue to grow in your own personal holiness. And as we saw last week, with the call of holiness or the call to holiness, there comes warnings with that call as well. Now, this was when Paul warned the Corinthian Christians of the impending judgment, or as he said it, in the day of the Lord, if we do not repent and discard the sin that divides us from Jesus Christ. So as we get into our text this morning, Paul is now going to continue with the same theme, the same word of warning, or better yet, this word to call out the Corinthian Christians. So I want us to just go ahead and jump into our text this morning and see what Paul will call scandalous disputes and see how Paul reminds the church and reminds the Corinthian Christians not only of their call to grow in holiness, but ultimately teaches the Christians how they should now handle these disputes. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, and once you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, writing to the church at Corinth. Paul writes these words, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, just to go ahead and set the scene for you, if I could, Paul had already clearly been told that there were disputes that had risen amongst the Corinthian Christians, and not just the common variety that we've been talking about for the past previous four to five chapters about who was the better leader or who was the better teacher. Was it Paul, was it Peter, or was it Apollos? Clearly he heard that there were now new disputes that had escalated amongst the Corinthian Christians and it had gotten to a point where now the Corinthian Christians were taking these disputes outside of the church and taking them to the Greco-Roman courts. Now we might think at this point that that's not a big deal, but bear in mind this was a court system in Paul's day that was well known for its corruption. They were well known for favoring those with wealth and status over those who may be poor or maybe lowly or may not have the same status as the wealthy. And so Paul calls this moment for the Corinthian Christians, this, this handling these disputes, he calls it scandalous. And says the church should be able to really handle these minor disputes within the church themselves, since it is Jesus Christ who ultimately judges the world, and they are now in Christ. And yet, here we have another instance where the wealthy were taking advantage of the poor by taking them to court over matters that they knew that they would win in court, but maybe not win if they took it to the local body of believers. Again, the poor were being taken advantage of by the rich. So Paul, being eloquent in wisdom, eloquent in his own words, plays off their prideful wisdom and says to them, where is the wise among you that can help you resolve this matter? You see, Paul calls these disputes, or better yet these lawsuits, a defeat for the church. Since it was now the reputation of the church that was now being hurt by the Corinthian Christians. But what we're going to see in the text is Paul is actually going to go one step further and ultimately he's going to call the church to be willing to suffer for wrongdoings, willing to, to suffer and, and be defrauded, which is actually better than being the one causing the wrongdoing. So through a list of questions that can and should be easily answered, and in several more teachable moments, Paul is going to teach the Corinthian Christians that these scandalous disputes need to stop. And not just stop, but Paul is now going to teach the Corinthian Christians how to handle such disputes. So let's look back into our text and see that Paul shows us and shows the Corinthian Christians two ways to handle such disputes. First way being this, in verses one through six, Paul teaches, seek wisdom of the word and not wisdom of the world. Now, please pay attention to the fact that I did say wisdom of the word and not wisdom of the wise. I want to be really specific here because we as Christians today have to be careful because too often time people, especially Christians, seek counsel from wise people who are not believers at all. And ultimately, what ends up happening is these quote-unquote wise people end up giving advice that either doesn't come from the Word of God, it doesn't follow suit with the Word of God, or better yet, it goes against what it is that we are taught in the Word of God. Thus, the wisdom we are getting is not wise at all. Rather, this wisdom that we are getting is, is from the world, and that's not going to be a good thing. In fact, in the text, if you were to read this in its original Greek, it actually opens with the word dare. So if you look at it in our text, Paul says, does he dare go to the law? Here Paul communicates this way because he wants the Corinthian Christians to understand that going to a secular court, going to a secular law, which, oh by the way, is historically known for being corrupt, going to this court, this corrupt court is actually outrageous when it comes to how the church should deal with trivial matters. You see, Paul would rather see the Christians work these disputes out themselves or better yet, if they couldn't work them out themselves, to involve another mature believer to act as a mediator and offer clear biblical wisdom to the situation that they were faced with. Paul even goes on to say, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now again, Paul wasn't asking a question here to which he didn't know the answer. Also, Paul wasn't asking a question to which the believers themselves didn't know the answer. The answer was clearly obvious here. And so Paul was being intentional in his question at this point. Because he wanted them to understand and to see that how they were handling the disputes, how they were handling the situation before them was actually unrighteous. Paul says to them, you were saints. You are." God's holy people, but you are not acting like it. You were acting rather like a a people of the world and not the people of the promise. Again, Paul was calling out the church for their division and how it was the wealthy in the church that were seeking to take advantage of the poor. And so Paul continues in verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Again, Paul is asking questions to which there is an obvious answer. But what Paul is doing through these questions is explaining more about this scandalous dispute that is now taking place. He says, listen, since we are saints in this world, what is now taking place, these these trivial matters that you're, you're now taking to a worldly court, these things should not be happening amongst God's holy people. You see, since Christ rules... Since he reigns over the world, his people will rule as well. So the argument that Paul is making at this point is one of a greater to lesser argument. Follow with me. Paul says, if Christ rules meaning that Christ has dominion over the world, and now as Christians, we are in Christ, then we too rule over matters that already belong to Jesus Christ. Thus, as those under the rule of Christ, seeing that Christ alone has dominion over all things, we should be a people who can handle a trivial dispute when it comes up. In fact, if you go back and read Psalm 133, verse 1, I would encourage you to memorize that whole psalm. It's nowhere near the length of Psalm 119. It's only three verses. It opens by saying this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then the next two verses describes the joy that is found in unity. You see, for Paul, the Corinthian church, the Corinthian Christians should be able to work out these disputes amongst themselves. And again, to further his argument of a greater to lesser, Paul is now going to take this one step further in verse three. And he says, And do you not know that we are to judge the angels? Now, again, there's a lot of theological implication that we can unpack with this particular passage. But Paul, I believe, is making a fine point that we need to hear. Because what Paul is acknowledging is, at no time will the angels ever rule this earth. The angels at no time nor at any point will ever rule in the kingdom that is to come. It is Christ and Christ alone who will rule. And since Christ is the one who rules and we belong to Christ, then we will be greater than the angels. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about all the times in the Bible you hear a description of a heavenly being or a description of an angel and and you you see the the response and the, the reactions of the writers. Think about how magnificent they are. I mean, th- just some of the descriptions of these things are incredible. But let's remember one thing. We have experienced the one thing that they will never experience or know. We've experienced salvation. We've experienced the redemption for our sins through Christ and Christ alone. Thus, in Christ. We too will rule. And as if that wasn't enough, Jesus says as much in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, when he says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. And so, since we will rule, why can't we handle the trivial of this earth? This is ultimately what would lead Paul to say in verse 3 as he continues. How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? Again, don't miss Paul's point at this point. He's saying, listen, if believers are going to rule over angels, and they will by the grace of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord, then as believers, the Corinthian Christians, and us today, we should be able to handle handle and resolve the ordinary matters of this life. So brothers and sisters in Christ... Don't miss the point. The wisdom from the word of God dictates that we should be able to talk to one another and work through the grievances and the problems that we face with each other. Nowhere are we called to shout them out to a secular world or even to involve the world in matters that involve Christians. Wisdom from the word teaches us that because of Jesus Christ and the hope that is found in him, we can and we should handle trivial matters. So I got to ask the question this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, how are we doing at handling the trivial? Paul continues in the text in verse four and he teaches the Corinthian Christians more about these trivial matters that he is talking about. He says this, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Now, I love the phrase here, such cases, because it literally translates to such cases as they pertain to matters of this life, meaning the cases that Paul is referencing here are the ordinary matters of life. Now, some have gone on to to really use this passage and and almost abuse this passage to assume that Paul means that we should never enter into any kind of lawsuit whatsoever, but I don't believe that's the, the point that Paul's trying to make here. In fact, I believe that we just saw recently with COVID in some states, thankfully by the grace of God, not the state of Florida, where lawsuits became necessary for churches against the government when in some places the government tried to force churches to shut down. In other words, it was the local government that was now impeding upon the right of the church to be able to gather and to assemble. And so in this point, it became necessary as the law dictates that this was the only way for churches to get a face-to-face with their governing authorities. And so matters had to be talked about and settled in court. But again, this is not what Paul is talking about. Paul literally says, listen, I'm talking to you about the minor things. I'm talking to you about the things that are, that are troublesome. I'm talking about the things that just annoy you, the, the day-to-day things that just annoy you, the matters that, that ultimately harm the church as people continue to, to take these little annoyances and inconveniences and, and take them beyond the church. I'm talking about the the things that that people take out of here and, and involve other people and involve other communities and involve other worldly people and they simply don't care whether or not those words harm anyone or anything that's a part of the local church. I'm talking about the minor stuff. Let me give you an idea of what Paul may have had in mind just to kind of put some perspective on it. Matters like this. This is a minor one for me. Coffee shops today. Being sued because they didn't put caution pot on the cups. What do you think it is? It's not Kool Aid. It's gonna burn. Or, better yet, one of my favorites that I've been watching most recently fast food places being sued by people for not warning them that eating that burger will make them fat. What do you think is gonna happen when you consume that french fry? It does not turn into a celery stick. I don't care how you pray. Another one that I saw recently, by the way, these are cases in the United States. This is what's tying up our court system. Okay? Here's a case that's tying up our court system right now. Did you know that there's a case right now where a kid, a child, is suing her parents because she was not allowed to make the choice to be born because no one told her that life would be hard and complicated? Like, did you know that was a thing you needed to do now? So, when your child is in the womb, parents to be, grandparents, when your your kids are getting ready to have children, don't just get them the, 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 the classical music thing that's supposed to help the development of the child while they're in the womb. Don't just read scripture and pray over them. No, no, no. Warn them about the world. Tell them, this world is hard. Life is troubling. Your football team will stink. So now it's your choice. This is a court case right now in our country. I mean, this sounds crazy, but this is the same thing that we do when we go outside the courts, to the courts, or better yet, when we go outside of the church with with matters that should have been handled within the body. This is what happens when, when gossip runs rampant beyond the walls of the church. This is what happens when we, when we seek to the divide the church and we, we justify our actions and we justify our words and we say that we believe in being a part of the local church, we believe in being a part of the universal church, but we have no problem creating division for this body of believers. And here's the reality. Do you know what the root cause of why it left the four walls? Pride. 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 It happened because a trivial matter didn't get resolved amongst two people, two professing believers. Now, coming back to the text, here's what Paul does. He's actually going to use, he's going to use this phrase, and he says this. He says, and they lay them before those who have no standing in the church. Now, again, Paul's words were intentional. He wanted to point out how shocking this behavior was by the Corinthian Christians. Paul tells the church that instead of working these matters out amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, they were now taking them before non-Christians to decide. Now, think about that for a moment. Christians, Corinthian Christians within the church, was taking church matters to a group of people who mocked God in their own wisdom. They were taking matters within the church to a group of people who despised God in their lack of belief. They were taking matters to a group of people who would be cast off if they did not come to faith in Christ before the day of judgment. And here was Paul's point. In saying all this to to shock the Corinthian Christians, he was seeking to challenge them to rethink who they were talking to and ultimately seek to resolve these matters within the body of Christ itself. And brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a good point for us to stop and think on and consider at this moment. When dealing with matters of division, when dealing with trivial disputes, do we seek to go back to reconcile those situations? Do we seek to, Godly counsel from the wise within the church or do we go and we listen and we spew venom to anyone who will listen, including to those who may not believe in Christ at all? I mean, stop and think about that. Because here's the reality. When we don't stop and think and handle matters biblically, here's the reality. Our words will hurt the church. Our our words will hurt the body of believers, but not only will it hurt the body of believers, our words and our ministry with those around us will be affected in a negative way because it will hurt our ability to share the gospel with those we wish to share the gospel with. Involving the world in our trivial matters that we should be able to handle ourselves, reveals that our wisdom is not rooted in the Word. Now, coming back to the text, Paul goes on to tell the Corinthian Christians why he writes to them in this way. Let's just read it again together, verse 5. He says, and I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Now, if you recall, back at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that he is not seeking to shame the Corinthian Christians. However, when it comes to how they were handling these trivial disputes, how they were handling these trivial matters, Paul says that they really should be ashamed. And thus, ultimately, what Paul is doing at this moment is he's seeking to shame them. You see, since the Corinthian Christians sought scandalous disputes and sought the wisdom of the world, Paul was now seeking to shock them, to show them how repulsive their responses have been. Ultimately, what Paul is doing is he's seeking to break down the pride that the Corinthian Christians now have in their own wisdom. A wisdom that we have seen in every chapter. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. A wisdom rooted in the standards of the world. And this is what Paul says to them. He says, Clearly, you are running on empty when it comes to wisdom. Since you are now seeking the wisdom of the world on matters that have, can be, and can be resolved by the word of God itself. Paul even goes, As far as to say this, brother goes to law against brother. Now again, Paul is using familial language here to show the Corinthian Christians that instead of turning to their family within the church, they have now sought the wisdom of the unbeliever who is not a part of their family. And he says to them, listen, this should not be the case. So I want us to pay attention to what's happening here. Paul Paul was not upset about the conflict itself. Okay, he knew disputes would happen. He knew that these moments would come. And as a a family, we can expect that. I mean, come on, we're all a part of of the family of God. We we all have a family here. Paul was more upset with, with how they chose to handle the dispute by now bringing the matter before the world. Now again, let's just learn from the Corinthian Christians in this moment. We are a family here. And as we said last week, we want to be a family and a place where people can struggle together. And so the reality is this: it won't always be easy. I mean, you think about your own families. Is it always easy in your own home? Is it always... Just curious. Has anybody... Has anybody could just say, "I've had an easy week. Everything in my house has been awesome." You probably you should probably say that. And if you could say that, you want to know why? Because you probably weren't there. Let's be honest. You know why we have conflict in the church? You know why we have disputes in the church? You know why we have troubles in the church? Because you're here. And I'm here. And we're messy. Conflict's going to come. Fights are going to happen. Disagreements will, will come forth. Tension is going to rise. We're going to question the motives of one another. Somebody may just be asking us a question, and the first thing we want to do is we want to get Defensive. And when those moments come, the question before us is how are we going to handle them? Will we go to our brother and our sister and have a conversation with them for the goal of seeking understanding, for the sake of wisdom, for the purpose of education, so that we can glorify God even in our tension? Or will we do what the Corinthian Christians were doing? Will we gossip? Will we allow the tension to spread like fire until it reaches those who are not in the church, nor are they Christians to begin with? You see, here's a reality. We live in a world that is watching us. We live in a world that thrives in watching people fail. We live in a world that loves to watch train wrecks. You don't believe me? Answer this question. Why do we have so many reality TV shows? We like to watch people fail. We like to watch messy relationships. This is what our world desires. And so here's what happens. When our division and disputes get beyond the four walls of the church and we can't handle them internally anymore, here's what happens. It's only going to fuel the fire of people that already have issues with the church. And sadly, here's what happens. There are professing believers who would sit here and say to me and to you today, and I'm okay with that. However, we better be careful when we say those words. Because when we allow our disputes and our trivial matters to go beyond the four walls of the church and not handle them internally, here's what ultimately happens. Ultimately, it hurts our ability to witness to those around us. And when I mean our, I mean you and me individually. So if we've got issues in the church, matters that need to be dealt with, let's let's handle them in-house. Let's handle them with the people that we need to talk to. Let's let's do this the right way. By the way, we have a standard for that. As one of my football coaches that I work with, he always told our players this. He said every Thursday, he'd go find all our players and say this, handle your business. Friday's coming. I thought that was kind of unique. I thought about that as a Christian. And I said, you know what, Christians, handle your business for the Lord is coming. And notice what happens next. Paul now turns his attention to yet another way that we can and should handle disputes. So not only did he say, seek the wisdom of the word, not the wisdom of the world, but notice what he says in verses 7 and 8. And we'll run through this one pretty quick. Paul says these words. He says, seek to suffer, not to shame. Now, again, this one's going to sting a little bit, but let's just go ahead and jump in. Paul continues with his original argument where these disputes lead. Verse 7, he says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Notice for the Corinthian Christians, winning in court would have brought validation. Winning in court would have brought vindication. Winning in court would have been an easy win. And oftentimes we feel that way too when people are hurling words at us and we want to throw them right back. Well, here's what Paul says. Paul says, no. The fact that you're even taking this trivial matter before non-believers is an utter failure. You see, the reality is this for the Corinthian Christians, the win that they were looking for in a corrupt court was a failure. It was admitting defeat. It was doomed before they walked out the door. Paul continues in verse 7, and he says this, Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Paul literally says to them, It would be better for them to suffer than to continue in pursuing these scandalous disputes because it's only going to bring shame. In fact, Paul goes on to say as much in, in earlier in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, when he says, And repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Literally, he's picking up on what Jesus taught in in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, when Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I mean, can we just be honest for a second? Can we just struggle together for a moment? I think our, our human nature in our own sinful nature, no one wants to hear the words that Paul just spoke and the words that Christ just spoke. None of us want to abide by these words. But this is what we have been called to do. Jesus Christ, Paul, they both say it, it is better to suffer than to shame the church. So for the Corinthian Christians, instead of suffering wrong, they were now doing wrong in response to their own suffering. And Paul says, this is not what we're called to do. And what makes it worse for Paul, he concludes in verse 8, he says, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Literally what Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians is this, in your quest for a victory, you are shaming your own family. In your quest for validation, you are hurting those around you who are your brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, these trivial disputes were not helping matters at all. Rather, they were leading to the mistreatment of other believers. And Paul says it clearly enough is enough. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we seek victory beyond the word, when we seek victory and and validation in the courts, when we desire to shame one another over trivial matters, all that we are doing in that moment is ruining our own witness and we are ruining our own family. And as hard as it may be, sometimes the best response that we can have in those moments is to simply take the hit. Suffer a little, Paul says. So shame is not brought on the church by a watching world. Again, this is painful to say. I get it, okay? I grew up uh, just a a sports guy, okay? I was very much a a hit-for-a-hit kind of guy. I remember having a linebacker coming to me, struggling with his faith, seeking to glorify God on a football field, and he said to me, Pastor, coach, I was like, either one works in this moment. I thought I was about to get a great conversation about salvation. And he said, if I go back on this field and hit that man so hard and I separate his soul from his body and I do it for the glory of God, is God honored by that? I had a theological dilemma on my hands. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, I answered yes to the glory of God. That brother went out and won the game for us. It was incredible. I corrected that later, by the way. You see, we hear these words, and the reality is when people attack us, when people hurt us, we want to come out swinging. And the reality is this. There is a proper way to hold someone accountable. There is a biblical way to hold one another accountable. And if all else fails, sometimes the best response itself is silence. As we talked about last week, if, if we can't win them back to Christ, if we can't win them back to faith, sometimes the best thing we can do is just allow them to walk away and then no longer fellowship with them. And again, last week was hard. Hearing these words, I imagine, had to be hard for the Corinthian Christians. I imagine by this point they were probably looking around going, okay, well, then what do we do? How are we supposed to respond so we're seeking, we're seeking shame now? We're seeking, we're seeking suffering so that we don't shame the church? So that we don't shame one another? But then read the rest of the story. Because here's what happens. Paul is going to give the church hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says this, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You hear that? This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Don't lose sight of the goal which is before us in Christ Jesus. And maybe, maybe you need a, a visual illustration uh, of that particular, that particular verse. Let me give it to you this way. Have you ever seen the Rocky movies before? I don't know if you've noticed about the Rocky movies. They're all the same. It's just the guy's fighting changes, right? Have you noticed that about him? I mean, he gets beat up a lot. Sylvester Stallone made a lot of money getting beat up. Whatever. Great for him. He eventually does win. But there's a particular movie where he takes hit after hit after hit after hit. And when he gets to his corner, you see this moment where it's him and his corner. And they literally look at him and they they don't offer him any advice other than to say this. No pain. And what does he do? He repeats it no pain, no pain, no pain, no pain. Why would they say that? Because their point was simple. They believed that this character could overcome. Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters in Christ? Because of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord, we are going to have moments that hurt. We're going to have moments where where we do the hurting. We're going to have moments where we are the ones who are hurting. And it's going to sting a lot. But here's the reality. Because of Christ, we will overcome. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So let me ask you this morning, are you willing to take the hit? Or is your response to fire back? You see, your decision will impact the church. Your decision will impact the cause. Your decision will impact your witness. And your decision will impact the kingdom. As a part of the family of Christ, we have now been called to a new way to live. Not by the wisdom the world offers, but by the wisdom that is found in the word of God. Following Jesus Christ means that we may have to lay aside our own rights for the sake of other believers. We we may have to take some hits so as not to shame or to hurt our witness or to hurt the witness of the church. Now the reality is some issues are going to be worth fighting for and we're going to have to fight for them things that matter according to the word of God. When people stand in defiance of the word of God, or they stand in defiance of God, we may have to fight in those moments, but that is not what we are talking about here today. We are talking about the trivial. We are talking about the things that can and should be handled by the local church. So brothers and sisters, as a part of a family that does get messy. Let's handle those disputes. Not in ways that are scandalous, but rather in ways that bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the world is watching. And what are they going to see? Will they see a train wreck? Or will they see something beautiful that will point them to Christ? I want to close with Words from John Calvin in speaking about this very text. He says it this way A Christian should take heed that he does not bring into court any desire for revenge, any corrupt affection of the mind, or anger, or in fine, any other poison. In this matter, love will be the best regulator. Set aside the scandal, seek after the Savior. And let's honor him in all that we say and all that we do. Let's pray together. May your glory